Jesus once taught, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. I don't know anybody for whom that is their favorite verse. Like that's the verse they pick as their life verse. Some people pick those verses that are really encouraging to them or that are good reminders to them and they stick them somewhere in their house, on their fridge or by their desk or they paint it on the wall. But I don't know anybody who takes that teaching, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God and says, that's my life verse. That's what I aspire to. In fact, most people that I talk to, if you ever use the language of being blessed, You usually use it in the sense of talking about all the stuff that you have. When life is going good, when you have an abundance, when there's an overflow in your life and you say, God has blessed me. God has blessed me with this new job. God has blessed us with our home. God has blessed us in our family with this this new child or something like that. We always talk about blessings in terms of uh, having a lot. And then Jesus comes and says, blessed are you who are poor for for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And there's a great contrast in that. You are in the one sense poor in the way that many people talk about the word. In the other sense, yours is the kingdom of God. We're talking about in this series, real value and what it means to be really rich. And you see Jesus here um, making people think about what it means to really be rich, to really have a rich life. Yours is the kingdom of God, but you may be poor. And it also makes me think of my children because Jesus also taught something that's counterintuitive. He said the kingdom of heaven really belongs to those who become like children. So I think about my children in this context. And I realize that my kids, in one sense, they don't have anything. They don't really earn money. They don't really own anything. I mean, we have stuff, but, but we've earned money and, and we own stuff and they have stuff. But I've noticed my kids and my kids are small. They're two and four, almost five. And they walk around like there's not a care in the world. They walk around like they've got it all. Honestly, like sometimes uh, we'll say to our son, who's almost five, he'll, he'll, he'll say something like, oh, I really want a cookie. Can I have a cookie? Can I have a cookie? And so we go get him a cookie. But we'll say, hey, man, when these are gone, they're gone. Like they're running out. When they're gone, they're gone. And he'll, he'll say something like, that's okay. You could just go buy more. Or like, he'll be like rough with his toys and and we'll be like, hey, be careful because if you break that toy, you know, you won't have it anymore. It's like, that's okay. You can get me another one. I mean, he just walks around like nothing's a problem. Like, like it doesn't really bother him. Like, oh, it's okay. Like, you guys can just get me more. He walks around. He doesn't earn anything. I mean, we started to get him a little bit of allowance for doing chores. But like, he doesn't go out into the world and really make money. He doesn't really own anything. He just, he just gets what we give him. We give him his clothes. We give him his food. We give him his toys. We give him the, but he walks around without a care in the world. And do you know what I realized? That for most of us, the older we get, the more worried we get, the more uh, we feel like we don't have enough, uh, the more we feel like there's this pressure and there's a scarcity and we got to make sure that we go and that we get more and that we own more. And it becomes a stress on us because we're, we're, we're uh, the ones that have to take this responsibility on and go and do it. And I get it because part of that is just re- difference in responsibility, right? When you're a kid, a little kid especially, you don't have any of that responsibility. But as you become an adult, you, you do have more of that. But then when I take these things together with what Jesus is teaching, I think, man, what... What does it mean to really live a rich life when we think that way? Who's really rich? Maybe it's the one who can become more like a child who walks around and kind of thinks like, I don't, you know, my, my parents are rich and my parents are generous. And I don't have to worry about it. 
And maybe it's the one who doesn't earn so much or the one who doesn't own so much, but the one who receives a lot. So I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about our, our second principle, talking about the, the rich life. What does it mean to have more than enough? And last week we were talking about we become rich when we discover, when we discover that we are God's treasure, that God really treasures us and that he is ours, that there's this great, great value in a deep rela relationship with him. And I want to move on to our second principle today. And I do that talking about a number of stories starting uh, in Matthew chapter 14. And here's what it says. These are stories about Jesus. It says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Okay, the occasion here is important. What's going on? So Jesus, had been, when it says now, when Jesus heard this, he had been dealing with threats from King Herod. So King Herod had had John the Baptist, who was sort of the predecessor making the way for Jesus. He had him killed, executed. And then people are getting worried about Jesus because Jesus is this revolutionary figure that's stirring people up and the government is getting, you know, riled up and Herod is all worried. And so Herod starts to threaten and plot to kill Jesus saying, maybe this is John come back from the dead. This is kind of a continuation of that. We got to squash that. So Jesus withdraws to a, a, a lonely place, but there are people who are coming after him. Like there's all these crowds that are starting to see what Jesus is doing and his teaching and they're getting into it and they're following him. And it says that he had compassion. So this, this deep, heartfelt compassion. And he healed their sick. Now, this is important. You see these, these miracles of Jesus, the healing, healing miracles. And just like we're going to see, because we're also going to see today some feeding miracles. But these miracles, they're actually, a better way to say it is maybe signs. They're not just magic tricks so that Jesus can say, oh, look how powerful I am. But they're signs that point to a greater reality. And one of the things that Jesus is doing as he heals people and feeds people, is he is stating in a really visible way that he is the Messiah. So the Jewish people had messianic expectations. When they read the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible, uh, the Christian Old Testament, they, they would take certain passages that would point to a time where God, through the anointed one, the Messiah, was going to bring about kind of a, a new way of living. So those who are sick, for example, there would be this holistic healing. There would be peace. There would be abundance. There would be a blessing. There would be those who are hurting would be healed. Those who don't have enough would be given enough. And collectively as a group that they would have peace again in their land. So there's a bunch of places in, in the Bible that they would read that. One of them would be a place like Isaiah 35 verses 5 to 7. They say, Then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. So you have this idea of an overturning. The things that are, are hurting people are, are going to be undone and there's going to be this holistic peace. That's the messianic expectations that they had. So when the Messiah comes, this agent that God is going to work through to bring a holistic healing, a peace, and abundance to the people of Israel. So when Jesus is out there and it says he has compassion on these people, he's healing the sick, the proclamation here is that the Messiah has come. This is happening right before their eyes. Verse 15, back in Matthew chapter 14. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. 
and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Here's the problem. There's a whole bunch of people, the thousands of people here. Disciples come and say, we got to disperse them. They got to go home. They got to get something to eat. Why? Here is the problem. We don't have enough. We don't have enough. We can't feed all these people. We've got five loaves and two fish for all these people. Not enough. Jesus says the solution is you give them something to eat. Verse 16, you see that? They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And in Greek, when he says you, this is written originally in Greek, it's emphatic. There's a double pronoun, an unnecessary extra pronoun for the you, which brings emphasis. It's like you, you, you give it to them. And they come back and say, we don't have enough. This is really, really important. We're going to see a pattern today, so I want you to pick up on it. Problem, we don't have enough. Jesus, you feed them. Disciples, we don't have enough. Okay, verse 18. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So 5,000 men plus their families. So however many people that is, is a lot. And you sit and go, whether you're the disciples, whether you're part of the crowds, you got to sit and go, that's amazing. I mean, we literally did not have enough. We had some loaves and fish, but like this would barely feed a few of us, let alone thousands and thousands of people. And if you just start right there and take in the, the miraculous power that's happened, you might say, that what we would learn is when our resources pass through the hands of Jesus, they're multiplied. Isn't that amazing? We don't have enough. This is all that we have. And the scriptures here don't tell, like people try and figure out and they have different views on miracles and how it happens and all that kind of stuff. They don't, we're not told anything. We're not supposed to know, I don't think, how this actually happened. Like, did Jesus like actually kind of in an interventionist way through like God's power, there's more and more bread? Or does it turn out that there were more people in the crowd that had bread? And so as it got passed around, they started giving their bread and all. And people have tried to come up with different ways of explaining this, but we have no idea except that miraculously, there's more than enough for everybody to have. And what I come down to thinking is when our resources pass through the hands of Jesus, they're multiplied. Isn't this incredible? Here's, this, here's the culture we generally live in. Our economy, we live in a capitalist society. I'll give you my take on capitalism really quickly and oversimplified. In terms of an economic system, it is better than a whole bunch of them. And if you look through the world and the history of the world, capitalism, I think, provides people with a certain amount of opportunities uh, in a way that is better than a lot of other economic systems. But we've also got a lot of pitfalls that we need to be aware of. There's, there's this drive in capitalism that comes from scarcity, right? It starts with you don't have enough, but you can go out and, and earn more and earn more and earn more. And it's driven on greed. And it's driven on advertisers 
convincing us, you don't have enough and I can sell you something because that's them trying to earn and earn and earn. And so I'll earn so that I can buy and so that I can own, so that I can have more, so that I can get ahead, so that I can be secure, so that I can be happy, so that I can be fulfilled. And it's driven on this. And, and we know, again, there's, there's some really terrible economic systems throughout the world in the history of the world. Um, and, and capitalism has its pitfalls. Uh, it, it doesn't give everybody equal chances. It runs on greed. It runs on discontentment. Uh, it runs on this idea that you're, you're always needing more and, and you always need to earn more and you always need to own more. So um, we'll take the good of it, but we need to be careful of the stuff that might not be good for our souls and might not be good for the world. And we want to create sort of a different way of looking at stuff. But in capitalism, we are primarily earners and owners. I go out and make money so that I can have stuff, whatever that stuff is. It might be just putting the money in the bank for security. It might be buying luxury items or just regular everyday items. But primarily, we become earners and owners. We need to earn more and we need to own more. But in Jesus' economy, the way that Jesus teaches, what happens when we're faced with the question of, we don't have enough? Well, for Jesus, we are receivers and we're distributors. We're like little children. Well, what do you have? And when it, our resources pass through the hands of Jesus, they're multiplied. We realize Jesus has this faith that he's trying to, to teach us that we have, we have a heavenly father who is so rich and so generous. And so we receive. And when we realize that we're not primarily earners. Now, that doesn't mean we don't go out and work and earn money. We do. That's an important part. It's very biblical, all the rest of it. But primarily like way deeper down, Jesus encourages us to have the faith that we have a heavenly father who owns everything. And so that everything that we have, even though we go work for it, which is a good thing, we receive it. And when we realize that our ultimate source of everything that we have is not earning, but receiving from our heavenly father who gives us every good gift, then we can receive it and we can give it. God gives it to me, I can give it to someone else. Why? Because God's going to provide for my needs. So if I need something, he provides it for me and I can, I can give it to somebody else just as Jesus does. He takes it, he blesses it, breaks it, and he gives it. God gives it to me, so I'll take it, I'll thank him for it, I'll break it, and I'll distribute it. That's what he said to the disciples. You, you give it to them. You are a distributor. You're a receiver and you're a distributor, ultimately. What if I give all this stuff away? I'm going to have nothing. Yeah, but you're a receiver. God's going to provide for you. You have this faith. You enter into a different way of living. And I see that when, G when our resources pass through the hands of Jesus, they are multiplied. God provides. And then think of those terms. Amazing. Those verbs that are in there of what Jesus does. He takes, he blesses, he breaks, and he gives. Really, really important. We're going to see that uh, uh, repeated. You know where else we see that? We see that in the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. When Jesus sits down before he is arrested and crucified. He has his last supper with his disciples. And again, he takes bread. He blesses the bread. He breaks the bread and he gives the bread. It's all the same verbs. And when he does that with his disciples, he says, this is my body given for you. I am enough for you. I will feed you. I will, I will provide for you, your physical needs, actual bread when you're hungry, but I will provide for all of your needs, your spiritual needs. I will provide you with strength and encouragement. I'll provide you with forgiveness and grace. I'll provide you with love. And I will do that at the cost of my entire life. We saw that last week. These verbs here, that Jesus talks about when he's handing out physical bread and saying, hey, come distribute with me. He will then make kind of a holistic picture. I will give you everything that you need. Taken, blessed, broken, given. 
So we see a picture of the cross of Jesus, his body, broken, given for the ones that he loves. He would give us everything. Amazing. Oh, man, if we just get that picture, right? You got to read these feeding miracles over and over and over because we live in a culture of scarcity. That's why we got to read the, these, these miracles, these miracles of feeding and go, wait, maybe, maybe the universe, the way that God would have us live in it, is not running on scarcity, but actually abundance because we have a heavenly father who is rich and who is generous, provides everything for us. It's a good story. Okay, now if you're following along in a Bible, that was Matthew chapter 14. I want you now to jump to Matthew chapter 15, just one chapter later. Here's what we read was happening. Jesus had just healed a whole bunch of people. You remember that? So in chapter 14, he had healed a bunch of people. In chapter 15, we read a couple of things. He gets into arguments. We'll come back to this. He gets into arguments with the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders about purity. Then um, he provides for uh, a Gentile woman because of her faith. Then it says that he went and healed a whole bunch of people. Remember our messianic expectations. The Messiah is going to come and he is going to heal people and he's going to bring this holistic healing to people, peace and abundance. So then we come down to Matthew chapter 15, verse 32. We have a, a very similar occasion to we did in Matthew chapter 14. And it says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have had nothing to eat. You see the repetition? And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. So the occasion, Jesus has compassion on the crowd. He heals their sick. They don't have enough food. Verse 33, The disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed a great crowd? The problem, we don't have enough. You might stop and go, fellas, can we just reread the last chapter? Do you not remember the 5,000 men plus their families that were, Jesus, we don't have enough. Where, where are we going to get bread? I don't know. Okay, verse 34. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. So he took, he blessed, he broke, he gave. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. The disciples become distributors. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children, their families. So again, thousands of people. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and he went to the region of Magadan. So Jesus has these people recline. Same word as if you were going to recline at a meal. You're going to sit down at a meal. He takes, he blesses, he breaks, he gives. Everybody's satisfied. You have even more than enough. Super similar to the thing that we just read in Matthew chapter 14, right? Problem. We don't have enough. Solution. You go give them something to eat. Problem. We don't have enough. When the resources pass through the hands of Jesus, they are multiplied because he, he takes, he blesses, he breaks, and he gives just like he's going to give his entire self for the people he loves. Okay, let's go down to Matthew chapter 16. So let's go one more chapter um, down to verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, so they're just continuing on their journey, right? They had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. Okay. 
Matthew chapter 14. We have a problem. What? We don't have enough bread. Jesus miraculously feeds thousands of people. Matthew chapter 15. Problem. We don't have enough bread. Jesus miraculously feeds thousands of people. Matthew chapter 16. Problem. We don't have enough bread. Come on. I mean, come on. Fellas, can we read 14 again? Can we read chapter 15 again? This is not in the distant past. Are you not learning the lesson? Do you not understand what is happening here? Are you kidding me? I mean, if I'm Jesus, I don't have the restraint. I don't know. Like, are you guys not getting this? So verse 8. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among, you, among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Okay, this is interesting. Pointed question. Not just do you remember that everybody ate and satisfied, but you remember that? It wasn't that long ago? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Bread's not really an issue for Jesus. Okay. But more specifically, do you remember how many baskets you gathered each time? So why the repetition? We now have three chapters. We now have three I don't have bread stories. I don't have enough bread stories. Okay. Why is this uh, repeated? Number one, because it's a hard lesson to learn. It's a really, really hard lesson to learn. What do we do when we think, I don't have enough what do we do when we're living in a scarcity mindset? What do we do when we're in a really hard time and we go, I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough skills. I don't have enough intelligence. I don't have whatever it is. I don't have enough resources. It, it seems almost hard to believe. How'd you not get this three chapters in a row? Bang, bang, bang. But how many of us, we've been in the same spot. We've been in spots in our lives where we go, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't see the solution. I don't see the way out. I don't see the provisions. I don't have the strength. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. I don't have the people around me. And then sometime later, we look, I bet if we did storytelling, and maybe this is something you can do in your life groups this year, we, a whole bunch of us have stories that go, I was there, but then God, maybe not in my timing or the way that I thought, but God showed up for me and God provided for me. But then we go to another point in our life and it gets dark and it gets hard and, and we can't see a way out or a solution. We don't think we have enough resources. And again, we go, I don't have enough and I don't know what we're going to do. And we get scared and we get worried and we get anxious and we live in a scarcity mindset. And I think for a lot of us, we would say, that's actually happened to me over and over and over in my life. What if I could just get to the point where I, I'm reminded that when we pass our resources through the hands of Jesus, they're multiplied. That God provides for us and God provides for me and I can rest and trust in that. This seems ridiculous that the disciples don't get it. But man, I could tell you in my life, I've had this, this same routine. Times where in hindsight, I look back and go, God was there for me. But then I go to the next, next hard thing, the next dark moment, the next, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to get out of this. And I, I find myself back in that place. Like, I'm alone. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know how we're going to have enough. I don't know how we're going to solve this problem. You go, wait a second, wait a second. Bread's not a problem for Jesus. Not having enough is not a problem for Jesus. And I'm not primarily an earner or an owner. I'm a receiver and a distributor. I'm like a little kid with a rich and generous father. He'll give it to me. I can give it to you. 
it's hard lesson to learn. We got to, man, we got to admit that. And we put ourselves in there. And that's kind of, man, this is just so real. It's nice to have this, I think, in the scriptures for us to go, I get it, man. I, I get it. I'm, I'm there. This is just so natural for us in the height of, of struggle. I bet a lot of us could identify with that this year, just having, having spots in this year where you just go, I don't have the resources, man. I don't have the energy. I don't have the courage. I don't have the, I don't have the encouragement. I don't have the strength. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. So I think that's one of the reasons it's repeated. Second reason is, remember these messianic expectations Jesus is putting on display that he's the Messiah? Jesus is actually saying that he is enough for the whole world. So here's the question. Do you remember 5,000 people being fed and how many baskets you gathered? 12. Now, when Jesus was feeding those 5,000 people, Matthew 14, the first one, he's in Galilee. He is in a very Jewish place. Number 12 is very symbolic in the scripture. It's not really a random number. So some people are like, 12 just means it was a lot. Yeah, maybe there was a lot left over. But 12 is very symbolic and it is often symbolic of Israel because there's 12 tribes of Israel. So do you remember when we were in a very Jewish place and I provided enough bread that there was overflowing 12? I give enough for all 12 tribes of Israel. Then in chapter 15, a couple of things happen. Remember, uh, he gets into an argument with the Jewish leadership about what makes somebody pure. And then he jumps over the boundary of uh, like race, religion, and gender to have this interaction with a Gentile woman who puts her faith in her and is saying, I just want the crumbs from the table. Like, I just want a little bit of your mercy and I think that you'll do it. And Jesus has this way of drawing that out for her. And it's like, I'm, he, he does this... Um, I think sort of facetiously, it's like, well, I've come for Israel. And she goes, ah, but you'll give me your crumbs. I know it. Crumbs from the table. Just like, just like a dog in a house waiting for the leftovers. I know you'll give me some of that mercy and that grace too. And then Jesus finds himself in a, a much, um, Tyrian Sidon is where he's going. It's a much more Gentile place. And there, when he feeds them, how many baskets are left over? Seven. And seven's also a very symbolic number and often symbolic of Gentiles, non-Jewish people, because when the Jewish people came into the promised land, there was a list of seven nations that occupied the land that were not Jewish, that were not Israelites. So that became a, a symbol for uh, non-Jewish people. So don't you remember that I fed all these Jewish people and I've got enough for 12 baskets full, all of, all of Israel. But don't you remember when we didn't have enough again and I fed all these Gentile people and I have enough seven baskets full for the entire Gentile world. Don't you realize this is going to make sense because this is what the Pharisees and Sadducees are upset about because they are Jewish um, leaders who had a very nationalistic message that the Messiah is for us and kind of against everybody else. And Jesus goes, I'm here for everybody. And I've got enough resources for the entire world. So verse 11 says, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread, right? This is a sign. Yes, bread, but it's about much more than bread. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So now Jesus is coming with a universal message for everybody that the Messiah has come and he's going to provide everything that the entire world needs for holistic health and peace and abundance. And by the way, that's why these people, one of the reasons why they're going to want to kill me is the inference here. Wow, Jesus showing, uh, offering this faith, inviting them into a faith. where he says, do you believe that God has enough resources for everybody? And that through his Messiah, he is giving 
And it's our job to receive and to distribute. See, uh, our second principle, and today the principle is we, we get rich. We live rich lives when we share. When we realize it's not about owning and earning, it's about receiving and distributing. Why? Because I, I receive and so I can give. And when the resources pass through the hands of Jesus, when he takes it and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it, there's enough for everybody. So what's really rich Oh, I got to go out and earn and it's up to me and my responsibility and I got to own more and have more and build more so that I'm safe and protected and cared for and have luxuries and go, that's one way to live. Or you can become like a child and go, I receive, so I distribute. I receive, so I distribute. There's a story in the Old Testament in uh, Genesis, story of Abraham, and it's a horrific story at the beginning. Abraham's going to sacrifice his child. And his, his one and only son, he goes to sacrifice him. And God's asked him to do that. And he goes up and, you know, the whole story at Mount is just horrific. You see him moving closer and closer as they go up this mountain. And they're going to, he's going he's gonna to kill his son as if this is what God wants him to do, really wants him to do. But he goes to do it. And uh, at the last minute, God intervenes and he stops him. And, and he says, uh, don't, don't do that. And he provides instead a ram for the sacrifice. And Abraham, if you're a parent, I mean, if you're anybody, but if you're a parent, you go, the relief and, oh man, this was going in such a hor- horrific, tragic direction. Anybody reading the story would be going, he's not really going to kill his son. He's not really going to kill his son, but he gets so close. But then God provides this ram for the sacrifice. And you see that, that it's God saying, I, I am going to give the sacrifice, ultimately speaking, not you. And Abraham gives God a name, Yahweh Yaira, in Hebrew. Some of you will recognize the more German translation, uh, Jehovah Jireh. It's often translated, God will provide. Very literally in the original Hebrew, what it means is God will see. Or God will see to it. Or maybe both. Abraham being in this great moment of need, but God will see. And God will see to it. God will see my need and God will see to the provision. This is the faith that God sees my need. This can't be what I'm doing, but God will provide the sacrifice. What do we take from that? He sees us. He sees our needs and he will see to the provision. He will see and he will see to it. You say, I don't have enough. I'm out of resources. I'm exhausted. I'm broke. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. God sees you. God sees it. And God will see to it. He will see to the solution. Right now, I think there's so many of us who are in this spot. This past year, we've been in this spot. And I just want to say, God sees you. Your your suffering, your needs, your struggle, God sees it. And God will see to it. Healthcare workers can't imagine. I know this is such a scary time. It's a stressful time. You see things that we, we don't see, those of us who aren't in a hospital. Healthcare workers, God sees you. Hey, moms and dads, this is a tough time. And maybe you're all crammed in at home and you're trying to do homeschool and you're trying to work and your resources are depleted. God sees you. If you've been out of work, God sees you. If you've been marginalized, God sees you. If you've been lonely, God sees you. If you're anxious, God sees you. If you're sick, God sees you. If you're grieving, God sees you. God sees it and he will see to it. He sees our problems. He sees our struggles and he will see to it. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide the God who sees. Jesus says, I just want you to open your eyes to the abundance of God because we will receive and we will give. Now you might say, the problem I have with that is that is not the way that the world works. And I think Jesus would come back and say, but it could. 
but it could. In fact, maybe it would work a lot better. So what, what do we do? I mean, the first thing I think we ask if we're going to have faith is what are we holding back on? What are we holding back? What do we say? I can't give this because it's too scarce. Maybe it's your money. I just, I, I can't be generous with it because I don't have enough. So I can't give. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe it's forgiveness. We live in a tit-for-tat world where, you know, I can't just go around forgiving everybody. I got to protect myself. I got I to make sure uh, that they get what they deserve so they don't take advantage of me. But what if we realize that we have a rich heavenly father who is generous? And we said, my job is to receive it and to distribute. We become distributors. Jesus says to disciples, you give them something to eat. Why? Because your heavenly father gives you everything. We receive, so we give. You're rich when you share. You become rich not when you own and earn. That, that can be so stressful. It can be such a tight way to live, but you really become rich when you receive. Why am I rich? Not because I earn everything and own everything, because my heavenly father owns everything, and he's generous, gives to me. So first thing, ask, what are you holding back? What do you just find it so hard? Maybe it's a resource that's so valuable that you think it's scarce, you can't give it away. And I challenge you to, to, to become a distributor of that thing, to break the power of that in your life and to give, give it away. Might be money, might be forgiveness, might be love, might be encouragement, might be grace. I don't know what it is for you, but what do you hold back? And then the second thing, especially when we would say, man, I, this, this is not the way the world works. How, how could this practically work? I would say it's going to work when we become we. Not me. Jesus, he always talks in the plural. You know when he taught us to pray? He taught us to pray in the plural. It's not my heavenly father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's our heavenly father. Heaven, uh, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then what? Give, give who our daily bread? Give us our daily bread. Not give me everything I need for the next 40 years, which is how a lot of us live but give us together what we need today. And what if we started realizing that that's what it looks like to live in faith? We together. Because listen, sometimes you're right. I don't have enough. Sometimes you singularly don't have enough, but together we have enough. And we start to see the we I, I receive so I can distribute. Maybe the world would be a very different place, a much less scarce place. We're just distributors and we're trying to make sure that it gets out to everybody. Instead of me hoarding mine, me earning mine, me owning mine, I become a distributor. So Jesus is teaching. We have enough when we become we, not me. And so we look for ways to become we. And we do that by, by distributing. I'm not, I don't need to hold back. My heavenly father is rich. My heavenly father is generous. So we together have enough. And then maybe we would start to redefine what it is to have a rich life. Maybe we become rich when we share. We change the way that it thinks. It might look like we're poor because we don't have as much as somebody else, but ours is the kingdom of heaven. Dave Royce, who is the president of World Vision, tells a story. Uh, back in the 90s, he was interviewing a young boy who had fled with his family from Kosovo in the middle of a humanitarian crisis to Albania. And they had, they had run away from invading soldiers. And uh, as they were trying to escape, this boy had been, had been beaten and a soldier had broke his arm by smashing him with the butt of a, a gun. But he had just barely got himself onto this, this wagon of a, a farm tractor or something and escaped with his family. And it started a three-day journey for them to escape the, the country and get to a kind of a refugee camp. Uh, and in the midst of that journey, he had, he had become ill. He had lost consciousness. It was really touch and go. But he made it. And so they're in Albania. 
Albania and the president, Dave Royce of, of World Vision, is interviewing him in this gymnasium where they're with all these other refugees. There's no privacy. Um, there's a water shortage. It's, it's uh, you know, the completely, um, completely unsanitary conditions. And him and his family are there and they're traumatized from everything that happens. They're still scared that they're going to be captured again and, and maybe tortured or killed. And as the interview goes on, uh, Royce notices that this, this young boy, he's got this little tinfoil package that he's holding with his one good hand. And there had been a church group that had distributed at Easter to all the children, just a, a little um, chocolate, piece of chocolate wrapped in tinfoil. And spontaneously, this boy, he took that package and he unwrapped it and he broke it in two and he gave it the president of World Vision. And he recounts in his story, all he could do was sit there and nod and accept it with tears flowing down his cheek and asking himself, between me and him, which of us are really rich? This boy who all, literally all he has is this chocolate and the clothes on his back. It's all he owns. It's all his family has is the clothes on his back. But he takes it, he unwraps it, he breaks it, and he gives it. So who are the rich? Maybe it's not the one who earned the most or owned the most. Maybe it's the one who realized that everything they have is a gift to be shared. Heavenly Father, would you renew in us a sense of how generous you are, that we could never outgive you. Remind us that today you see us. You see our need and you will see to it for our provision. Help us to live in such a way we realize that we receive everything from you, and that empowers us to be distributors and give to those in need, to give to, to what's truly um, important. Whether that's our time, our love, our forgiveness, our money. And to know that once our resources pass through the hands of Jesus, they're multiplied for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.